Philippians in chapter 4. We're going to be going through verses 10 through 23. And really, if you think about it, as we've worked through this, probably the, one of the biggest recurring themes in Philippians is talking about the topic of joy. So often it's discussed. In fact, uh, most scholars would say that this is the most concentrated teaching on finding joy in the Christian life out of any book in Scripture. And so this morning I thought it would be fitting that we would address and give that focus of attention. The idea I've actually titled this morning's message, Choosing Joy. Really, that's driven out of this statement that I've heard said before. Happiness is a feeling, but joy is a choice. Happiness is a feeling. And isn't that so true that happiness is something that we're constantly chasing, yet it's so elusive and it's driven by emotions and by uh, moment by moment, it can really vary if you think about it. One moment, you can be completely happy. The next moment, it can be after just the smallest thing, our happiness can wander and stray. And you're like, where did that go? Because happiness is fleeting and it's based on emotion. Joy, on the other hand, is something that's not redirected by our circumstances. It's more constant, and yet it's something that's uh, so seldom found within our families, within our country, within our culture But really our desire as a church is that, Paul's desire is those of us that are following Jesus Christ would really truly find and experience joy in their life. But as, as I've already started to suggest, I would say that joy isn't something that you just stumble upon. It's something that comes from a series of choices that you make in your life. And Paul, writing from prison, is probably the one of the most joyful people ever obviously had made some decisions in his life that brought him to a place where he could be even joyful in a Roman prison. This morning, we're going to look at some of those choices that he made, but let me pray for us as we dive in. God, thank you so much for your word and how practical it is, how it teaches about something like joy that seems to be so elusive. I pray that these choices that we can identify from Paul's life might be something that we can institute in our own life, that we can apply what we've learned here this morning coming out of the service. I pray that you'd teach us, that we would be able to put our distractions and everything that's been going on on the shelf for just a moment to hear from you in your word. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So getting your eyes on this text, and that's important, so we're all in this together. Verse 10 is where we're going to start. It starts in a healthy spot as it relates to our topic. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. I want to stop there just for a second, and I know that hasn't gone very far into the text, but the first statement that caught my attention is this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Greatly. The question is, why does he rejoice in the Lord greatly? I would suggest that he understands the inseparable link between God and provision in our life. The inseparable link between God and provision in our life. As he's talking about their faithfulness, so basically, he started this church in Philippi 10 years earlier. And different seasons of their existence, they had come alongside and supported Paul. And he's not, he's not trying to guilt trip them he's, when he says he, you've revived your concern. 
They hadn't had dormant concern. They had literally no opportunity until now to serve him again. So they, when they've had the opportunity, they would serve him faithfully and help provide for his tangible needs. We talked about this a few be- weeks back about Epaphrodites bringing all these supplies and resources to help meet his needs while he's there in, pr- in prison. But the thing that I wanted to pause to point to is the fact that Paul recognized clearly that connection between provision and it coming from the Lord. That's why he starts by saying, I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. This idea that he's aware of the source of the good things happening in his life. The provision, the needs that have been met. And I would suggest one of the choices that we make in a life of joy is recognizing any provision that you experience is stems, it comes, the root of it is from the Lord. We need to recognize Him as the source. I was reading this last week about a woman who worked at a local post office, and she, got, she was, uh, received a, a lot of variety of mail, and sometimes letters written to Santa, and sometimes letters written to God, She actually received one written to God, and what caught her attention was real shaky handwriting. And as she opened the letter that was written and addressed to God, she was real interested. She she determined by the handwriting that it must have been an elderly person, an elderly woman that was asking in the letter for $100 that would really help with some of her different expenses that month. So she decided to write a letter to God. Seems to make sense, right? And so she was so compelled by this letter, she rallied some of the other workers in the post office to do a little mini offering. And so they rallied together. They're able to come up to, not the full amount, came up with 75 bucks. So they sent this woman in response to her letter to God, sent her $75 in the mail, which they they were excited to be able to bless and encourage this woman. So a couple weeks later, they, they finally got a response. They were wondering if she would write back to God. And this was the response. Thank you, God, for the money. I deeply appreciate it. However, I received only $75. One of those jerks at the post office must have stolen the rest. (laughs) Not recognizing the source of the resources. And really, if you think about it, our minds, our, our hearts, we can think it's either our own effort, our own doing, our own. And, and God's there saying, no, I'm the one that's provided. I'm the one that's the source. And one of the choices that we make in moving towards a life of joy, I would suggest as evidence in Paul's life, is recognizing and celebrating God's provision. Hopefully you had a chance to do that even this week. Verse 11, the second choice that I would suggest is choosing to be content. It's real obvious in this section. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation... I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul uses this opportunity to teach a really valuable lesson. Although we celebrate God's provision... We need to be content regardless of our situation. So although we celebrate his provision, we also need to be moving towards being content regardless 
of our circumstances. You know, the, the great theologian uh, Cheryl Crow uh, once said, it's not having what you want, it's wanting what you have. There you go. Somebody else is familiar with that. She's not a great theologian, but I thought that caught my attention. What really points to is he's saying in every single circumstance, regardless whether you're high on, not, whether you're high or whether, you're, that means different things uh, after the election here, uh, but regardless of your circumstances, being content in everything, every single st- circumstance, where I'm at, what I do, what I have, who, I, who I'm with, all of those things. He's not giving the green light to be discontent in any of them. I think the key to this, the key words that he says, he says, I have learned to be content. You see, and contentedness is not something inherent, right? We're not born with it. We're not naturally content people, but it's something that comes from life experience. Experiences can cultivate that. He's saying the lesson I've, I've learned, I know how to be brought low. And really, some of us can think back to our own circumstances and be like, yeah, I've learned how to be content even when I don't have much. Those of us also can say we've learned I know how to abound, really realizing how fleeting things are. Either end of the spectrum, he's saying that I've cultivated contentment, and he gives the secret to this. What does he say? Look at the text again. What does he say is the secret to all of this? I know how to be brought low. I know how to, uh, to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, what's the secret? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the secret to contentedness. Do you realize that's probably one of the most misused scriptures ever? The people typically use that. You see that on an on a NBA player's shoes, I can do all things. You, you see it on a UFC fighter's waist belt, I can do all things. But what's he talking about? No, you can pursue. It's not talking about passing a test you didn't, you didn't study for. It's talking about, no, you can be content in all of your circumstances through the power of Jesus Christ. That's what he's promising. So let's be careful that we don't wing that verse around too loosely and misuse it out of context. I have the power in Christ to be content whatever comes my way. The question is, will I choose to be content? Will I choose to be content? It moves towards the next one, is choosing to give. Verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Such a cool verse we'll talk about in a minute. It says, I have received Full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
a lot there that we read. I want to spend a few minutes breaking that down, exploring that. The first thing that you'll notice is that once we're content with what we have, we can easily convert material blessings into spiritual blessings. Let me explain that for a second. When Paul first started church planting in Philippi, this church was real faithful in providing for his needs. And, and what does it describe? It says, he says, I left Macedonia. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. That's a fascinating biblical principle there. The partnership of giving and receiving. This cyclical cycle, if you will, that he's pointing to. He's saying, listen, when you're in a partnership with them, you give and you receive. You give and you receive. It keeps going full circle. So he's pointing to an awesome biblical principle. You see in verse 17 how that works. Look in verse 17. It says, not that I seek the gift. In other words, I'm not after your money. Not after your money. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. In other words, the fruit that Paul seeks of people coming into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, spiritual fruit he's referring to there, is then given to their credit. Do you understand that principle? You know, when this church invested in Paul, I don't know how this whole accounting thing works in heaven, but here what he's pointing to is like, you get the credit for all that Paul does as you partner with him in ministry. And that's a, a cool thing to recognize that the church in Philippi invested in Paul so the fruit that he bore was credited to them. Would you say that was a pretty wise investment to kind of bet on Paul? I'm like, yeah, I, I, think, that was a, I think that was a good one. That was, a, that was like picking uh, Apple stock like 20 years ago. And you're like, oh, wish I would have done that. And Apostle Paul's like, yes, you chose wisely because the fruit that I bear is credited to you. It's a fascinating principle to see this idea of transferring the benefits of his fruit that he's born to them. The ministry that you invest in, you're accredited for the fruit that they bear. You become a partner with whoever you support. Kind of an interesting concept. We were talking about that even this morning with John sharing about giving to the church. As you're investing in this church, then you're saying, you know what? You get to bear the fruit. You get to have that credited towards this being a united effort. That's why I feel good about writing a tithe check each, each month to this church. And you're like, man, because I'm investing. There's people coming to know Jesus Christ here. There's kids getting saved. There's kids being invested in. There's missionaries that are impacting all over the world. There's a food that's being served to the homeless. There's, there's homes that are being built in Mexico. And you're like, man, that sounds pretty awesome. Sounds like a worthy investment, I would suggest. Like this idea of converting our currency, exchanging, giving converts your currency. I think I used this illustration one other time, but can you imagine in the United States if we heard word this coming week that they're going to change the currency in which we use? The, the currency, no longer will the dollar bill be what we use. But we don't know when that exchange is going to happen. How would you respond to that? The old currency, the dollar bill, is going to be worth absolutely nothing. And only the new currency would be useful. 
How would you respond to that? Well, you'd be strategic about this. What would you do? You would transfer as much as you possibly could and leave only what you actually needed to live off of, right? Isn't that kind of how you would approach things? If you knew that the currency you had now wasn't going to be worth anything tomorrow. That's the same idea from a biblical perspective, from an eternal perspective. If you think about it, what do I do with my resources? It's better to transfer them or exchange them towards eternal currency. That's what this little Philippian church did. That's what they were committed to, exchanging it. I was listening to this uh, story. Actually, I read it this past week, and maybe you've heard it before, but a, a, a man that had convinced his wife that he, he had built, acquired a pretty large mass of resources, a lot of wealth in his days. And he convinced his wife to make sure that she would bury all of his wealth with him. He wanted to take it with him. He wanted to, he, he wanted to take what he had actually earned in all of his days. And so the wife, with a little bit hesitant after much pleading and begging, finally says, fine. If that's what you want, that's what we'll do. Well, that day eventually came where this man passed away. And her, her pastor was actually aware of this decision, thought it was pretty foolish. And so he was, she was, he was shocked to see the woman on the man's last day actually put a, a, a briefcase, a mini briefcase satchel in the coffin with him. And afterwards, she said, you, you actually did it, didn't you? You, you sent him with all of the money that, that he had accumulated. Like, really, good job keeping your word, but I don't know if that's the best choice. And she said, yeah, I felt really convicted. I felt led to do it. I'd made the promise. So I wrote him a check. <laughs> the idea that obviously he couldn't cash that check. He couldn't transfer that. That would be worth nothing the idea is the similar to this with our, our perspectives like, hey, all of these things will be worth nothing unless you exchange them for kingdom currency. That's what the Philippian church was celebrating. They were able to convert their currency to something that credited long past that. Second thing you notice as the reasons why we give, giving converts your currency, giving is pleasing to God. That's a little bit more obvious in verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I don't know if you do this uh, yourself, but sometimes when I stop and think about the, the magnitude and majesty of Almighty God, to think of little wee little me having the ability to do anything that actually has the opportunity to please him. To please him. That, that's just a staggering thought that I have the potential by my generosity to please Almighty God is like, whoa, that's fascinating. In fact, it describes, what it describe it as? As a fragrant offering as a fragrance, something that, that was pleasant to, for him to smell. That was uh, interesting. I was thinking this week of the 40 people that rallied together for Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving morning to put together 120 uh, meals that we delivered to homeless folks. What a cool picture. I was thinking about that as that being a sweet aroma to Almighty God. 
It's really taken from the sacrificial system of the Old Testament where when they had a burnt offering, when they're burning that offering, they would even add drink incense on top of it. We talked about this a couple weeks back where they pour that on top and it would create a mist that then would fill the whole area with smell. And it was something that was pleasing to those around. And you know what came to my mind? Wood Ranch. Their trick, what do they do, you guys? What do they do? They've got those big vents on the top of that restaurant. They're pumping the smell of barbecue into the entire Conejo Valley. I don't know if anybody else has driven past the uh, Wood Ranch in the afternoon and you're like, strangely, I have this need, <laughs> desire for ribs, for for tri-tip. I must have this. This is pleasing to me. And I was thinking about that, and maybe I'm taking this too far, but you can be the wood ranch to Almighty God. You can be the the sweet aroma by our generosity, by the way we treat others, by how we pour out blessings on people that never saw it coming. He's like, man, I find that pleasing is what God says about our generosity. Pretty awesome picture. So the giving is pleasing to God. And then lastly, verse 19, it's also rewarded with provision. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Another beautiful verse often used out of context. Another beautiful verse often used out of context. If you think about it, this isn't an unconditional promise. This is a conditional one. It's embedded in the context of faithful, faithful, generous, and even sacrificial giving. He's saying, he's talking to this church in Philippi who's known, you can read about its poverty, that's giving out of its poverty and saying, don't worry, I'm going to take care of your needs. I'm going to take care of your needs because, again, that cycle that I mentioned. As you have provision, then you give. Then God gives back. I'll provide your needs. As you have provision, this cycle keeps going. And he's pointing to this reality that he's not promising to meet the the needs of a stingy, lazy, and irresponsible believer, but the faithful giver. That's who he's attaching that promise to. Let's be careful not to misuse that out of context. Thinking about that cyclical provision, giving provision, giving provision. Thinking about a great example of that is Stephanie Ross, who is up here sharing. Some of you have gotten to know her. She's an office manager at this church. And Adrian and I, for years, have been friends with Stephanie. And one of the things as a friend you try to do as you're coming alongside them is help them kind of steward their resources. Think through their, the how much they have coming in each month, what bills are there, what, how to do that. And we've tried to coach her a little bit over the, the years. But the funny thing with Stephanie, as fast as resources come into her hands, She's giving them to somebody else. So I'm like, what about your 401k? What about the, and she's like, ah, and she just keeps on giving. So we've kind of given up, wouldn't you say, on Stephanie. Uh, we've given any hope of uh, uh, any kind of responsible use of resources. But I've, in all honesty, what I've concluded, I'm like, you know what? She's on a different plan. She's on a, on a Philippians plan. You know, she's on that, that, that plan of, you, you know what? Uh, it, it comes, it goes, and man, isn't that what we're invited to? Is not hands closed tight, but open palms with our resources? 
that's what she's living and that's what he's saying. And when that happens, what does it say at the end of the, the section? One, he's going to provide for your needs. You're not going to be left needing. But then he says, to our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. This all brings him glory when we get this giving thing right. And it's a choice that we make that either moves us towards joy or not. Giving is rewarded with provision. He ends with a final uh, greeting. And this is where we'll end this morning. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. In summary, everyone here says hello. No, that's what he's saying. So basically, that's, that's the gist of this last section. But the piece that caught my attention, and I'd love for you to notice that, what does he say? It says, especially, all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Especially those in Caesar's house. Where's he at? Remember, he's under house arrest here. He's literally chained hour by hour to Roman guards that are, uh, that are responsible for his care. And he describes them as what? Especially the saints. So guess what's happened? You see that fruit that he was talking about? That fruit that was bearing is even happening in the Roman household. Even these guys that are attached to him, even the, whoever's, uh, uh, that he's exposed to, are coming into saving relationships with Jesus Christ. And that's why he's able to point to this partnership. He, he says the fruit that Paul's referring to, is a, it's attaching to their generosity. All of this is, are things that should bring them and move them towards a life of joy. Each one of these, think about it, a choice that we make on a day-to-day basis. The first one, choosing to celebrate his provision. How are we doing with that? How are we doing? How's our our joy meter as it relates to that? Are we taking time to to, to say, thank you, God. Thank you for this provision. Thank you for this provision. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my family. So fun to see people sharing up here story after story of thanking God for his provision. How are we doing with that? I'll tell you what, if we get that right, that joy meter goes up a little bit more. How about the the next one that we see evidence in Paul's life? The second choice, choosing it. Remember, it was something he learned. Choosing to be content in all of his circumstances. How are we doing with that this morning? How's our content meter? Are we content with where we're at? Are we content with our job? Are we content with our our family? Are we content with our circumstances, our income bracket? Are we content with the the items we have? Are we content with the the repairs on our house? Are we content with the upgrades that we wish we could do? Are we content with the car we drive? How are we doing with our content meter? How is that? Where is that at this morning? I'll tell you what, when we get that content meter right, the joy level goes up. How about the giving? giving piece how are we doing with that when the giving thing is 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 functioning right when we have that cyclical thing happen when we're partnering in ministry man i'll tell you all of those things move us towards a life of joy choosing joy this morning let me pray for us as we wrap up god i thank you so much for this text and actually this whole book just so many practical things and words from you specifically 
I pray that you'd move in each one of us in these different areas, even identified this morning, God. We recognize that these aren't things that are necessarily inherent. They're things that take your Holy Spirit moving and working. And so we invite you to do that. We ask that you would do uh, just a a remake, a, a shift that our life would be interrupted by the things that we heard this morning, God. I ask that you'd instill these, not just in our mind, but in our choices, in the way we think, our perspective on things. God, we know that that's only possible with your Holy Spirit. So we ask that in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful week. I pray that this week you can take steps to actually pursue joy, to make make decisions that actually move your heart in that direction. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.